Would you stand as we read God's word tonight? We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to these, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. As we enter another year, it's easy to think that the Christian life, that our journey, our ultimate aim is about making better decisions this year, about making better choices with each passing year. It's easy to get caught up in that, but the truth is the Christian race demands that we gain a clearer focus. It's not necessarily about making better decisions, it's about seeing rightly, a more keen perspective on what we're living for. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 sort of captures this as it says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. So the Christian life, even though it is about making decisions and making choices, it's more about seeing rightly. And God tells us in his word that one day when we see Christ for who he is, that everything will become clear. So when Peter compares the believers and unbelievers in this passage, he doesn't so much talk about the differences in their choices, but he talks about the difference in what the two live for. One sets his eyes on what is fleeting and trivial, and the other sets his eyes on God's will. Both are living for something, but both see their focus is very different. Do you know what you're living for in 2020? How can you sharpen your focus on what you're living for as you journey through this life? We all all know what happens to us, all of us. We move through life and We become scattered by the winds, bogged down by despair, overwhelmed with our work. Maybe even we become lazy, busy, 
tired, overwhelmed, and we lose sight. We lose sight of what we're living for. What once used to be a big bay window of light soon becomes a keyhole of hope. What we begin to see very brightly becomes dim and foggy. And sometimes it even seems like the finish line keeps moving further and further back. And Peter knows this. Peter's been around long enough that he knows that the noises in this life don't grow lesser, but the noises become louder and louder the more you live. The distractions become larger and larger the longer you go in life. The responsibilities, right, they get heavier and heavier. And sometimes, like a magnet to metal, our eyes leave our Lord and turn to the things of the world. And we find ourselves in the, in the desert of life, and our compass is just spinning, right? And we're not sure how we got there. We started off, and we're like, this new year is going to be different. And we find ourselves again in the desert, wondering, trying to find our direction in life. And in this particular passage, Peter wants to give us a sharper focus. He wants to help sort of narrow our aim to give some clear direction so that we can find our way through the desert as we continually pass from year to year. So what he wants to do is he's trying to get us to funnel down, right? We, we all are prone to be an inch deep and a mile wide, and Peter's like, hey, listen, I'm just going to give you a few things here. I, I just want to funnel it down. I want to help you zoom in on what really matters. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Cinderella Man. It's, a, it's an older movie. Russell Crowe, it's a, it's a boxing movie. This guy lives during the Great Depression, and he's a boxer, by trade, that's what he does. And his, he's sort of on the back end of his career. He's sort of washed up. But then the Great Depression hits. He doesn't have any money. doesn't have any food. Ends up breaking one of his hands so he can't box anymore. And as he breaks that hand, he's forced to use his other. And he soon rebirths his career and goes on to win the heavyweight champion of the world. And they asked him in an interview, they said, what's different? You've tried this before. What's different about your focus? And he said this. He said, I'm no longer fighting for myself. I'm fighting for milk money. So his focus had changed. He was fighting for his self-glory and honor at one time, but now he was fighting for the survival of his family. In the Christian life, we lose focus, and Peter knows that we forget what we have in Christ. We forget what we're fighting for. And we begin to lose strength. So Peter comes in here, and our focus is going to be verses 7 through 11. He says in verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. It's the final days from Christ's first coming to His second coming. That's what He's talking about here. The next time that we will see Christ, He will wrap up all things. He will be the end of this age. Every year that comes and goes, we're closer to the return of the King. And Peter wants his people to know, he wants these in Asia to know, in modern-day Turkey to know, hey, listen, Christ is coming back. It's round 12. Don't get caught slumbering. It's the last leg of the Boston Marathon. It's mile 25. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's mile number 499 in the Daytona 500. Peter's saying, listen, where is your focus? The church that Peter is talking to is undergoing tremendous suffering. He wants them to remain vigilant. But he wants them to remain vigilant and self-controlled and sober-minded. Not so they can do more planning for the new year. Not so you can accomplish greater things in 2020. In light of the nearness of Christ, Peter says, don't be ruined by the end distractions. Don't be overcome by the traps and the bling in the world. He says, be clear-headed. He says, the end of all things is here. Now keep your head about yourself. Think about some of the modern-day, quote, prophets of our time. Their theology doesn't really line up here with Peter and what he's saying. The end of all things is here. Now be sober-minded. Keep your head about you. Don't run around giving us dates and times about when Jesus is coming back. Don't be stressed out about, what do I need to get done? What do I need to get done? Peter says, keep your head about yourself. Every time there's a new battle in the Middle East, right? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, but we don't know when it is. And neither did Peter. He's like, keep your head about yourself. Be sober-minded. Be humble. So you can pray. You hear that, church? Keep your head about yourself. It's the end time. Be calm so you can pray. Not so you can plan. Not so you can accomplish more in 2020. But keep your head about yourself. Keep your focus so you can pray. John Piper says this about prayer. Prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. Prayer is an expression of faith in God's power, fueled by desire for more of Him. And Jesus is the perfect example for us, right? Of this very thing on His way to the cross. 
on his journey to be crucified. He doesn't, he doesn't get panicky. He continues to say, God, your will be done. He continues to minister to others. He continues to gather his disciples around him and say, hey guys, listen, I'm going to institute the Lord's Supper for your benefit. And then when he's done, he goes to the garden. And what does he do? He prays. The end of all things is at hand. He's fixing to go through the passion. And what does he do? He prays. Tim Keller, in the fall of 99, said his wife Kathy came to him after he had been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. She had been struggling with Crohn's disease for years. And Bay said, Tim, some things have to change in our family. And Kathy says, Tim, I want you to imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor said you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine. And you had to take this medicine every night before you slept. And Tim, if you missed it one time, if you miss it one time, you die. She said, how many times would you miss, Tim? How many times would we miss? She said, Tim, without prayer, we're not going to make it. And Tim Keller said, now think about Tim Keller. There's, I don't know of anybody that knows the gospel like Tim Keller. I don't know of anybody who can preach the gospel and teach the gospel like Tim Keller. And Tim says it wasn't until that night, until that day, that he committed himself to prayer with his wife. And since 99, he says, I have not missed a time. CRC, if you're going to keep your focus in 2020, you got to pray. You have to get on your knees and pray, and you have to understand that without prayer, there is no hope. That without prayer, there is no hope of walking with Jesus for a lifetime. Ephesians 6-18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, and with all kinds of prayer and request, and with this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. It's almost like he's going to say something different at the end of that verse. He starts it out, pray in the Spirit on all occasions, and all kinds of prayers and requests. And with that in mind, it's like he's going to tell you to do something else. <laughs> And then he says, you know what, just keep on praying for all the saints. So the greatest thing, husband, that you can do for your marriage and family this year is pray. Wife, the greatest thing that you can do for your children and your husband and your job is pray. It goes on to say in verse 8, The end of all things is at hand pray. And then in 8 it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sin. Basically what Peter is wanting the church to know is the love of Christ must continue to be on. In 2020 the, the gospel has to continue to to go deeper and deeper in our understanding, that we must continue to digest 
on a deeper level what Christ has done for us. The Christian life is a lifetime of diving deeper and deeper into God's grace, into the unfathomable depths of what God has done for you. We used to have this saying in baseball and talking about you, you want to score early and often. You want to score early and often. And as a church, we need to pray early and often. We need to dive deeper into God's love early and often. And it's the only way that we can have community. You know that? The, the, the only way that we can have community is to continue to grow deeper and deeper in understanding what Christ has done for us. I'm going to give you a few examples of what happens when you don't do that. You guys remember Jonah? I mean, Jonah was a prophet. <laughs> but Jonah had forgotten the gospel. And he grew cynical and hard and cold and ungrateful. He was still a Christian. He was still being used by God to bring the message of the gospel, but Jonah had forgotten the love of God. He had forgotten what God had done for him. And then you got James and John, right? They're so impatient and judgmental, they're wanting to call down fire, hellstone, hell, hellfire and brimstone on people. And they had forgotten what God had done for them. The depth and the shallowness of our love for each other reveals the depth and the shallowness of our understanding of what God has done for us. Hear that. The depth and the shallowness of our love for each other reveals the depth or shallowness of our grasp of what God has done for us. You see, there can't be true community without the gospel. Rich community happens like this. Rich community happens when we interact with one another with the understanding that as I interact with Josh and I talk with Josh, I understand that I am the one that owes 10000 So as I interact with Lee and I talk with Lee, I talk with him understanding that I am the prostitute, that I am the tax collector, That I am Gomer. Not him. I am. So if we're going to have rich community in our church, that's how we have to enter into relationship with one another. Proverbs 10, 12 says this, Hatred stirs up, but love covers all wrong. So Peter understands the way that you hedge division, the way that you cut off strife, is you continue to grow deeper in understanding what God has done for you. And in your interactions with one another and your pastors, we come to one another understanding, oh, I'm the one that owes 10000 not Josh. And that changes the way 
I deal with sin between Josh and I. No, we don't want to lessen sin. I'm not, I'm not saying we sweep sin under the rug. I'm just saying once we investigate it, we litigate it, church discipline, confrontation, confess it, repent, you cover it. You cover it. You can't have community unless you cover it. And that's costly, isn't it? I want you to think about God and how much it cost Him to cover it. And when God covered it, it's covered never to be seen again. You're not going to stand at the judgment seat and God be like, oh yeah, Ryan, this, that's not going to happen. Peter's like, if you're going to keep your focus, church, you've got to grow deeper in understanding what Christ has done for you. And when others sin against you, go to them saying, I am the one who owes 10000 and God has covered it. Now I have a responsibility to cover it. You know of a community like that? Can you imagine if we were a community like that? I, I doubt we'd have to invite very many people to come to church. I, I imagine they would sort of plow in the doors back there. That we just cover one another's sin. Yes, we confess it. Yes, we talk about it. And then we cover it. And we never bring it up again. That's the scandalous nature of the gospel. It's costly. It's very costly. But God has done that for you and for me. You know, people who love like that, you know what happens to the doors of hospitality? <laughs> they just fly wide open. That's what this kind of love does. Because you just cover it and you forgive and you forget it, the doors of hospitality just fly wide open. Loving like God causes that to happen. It causes us to throw open the doors of hospitality and invite others to come and warm by the fires of God's grace. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That God has loved me that way so I can love you that way so I can continue to have hospitality where we both come and warm by the fires of God's grace. And what we begin to understand, as one author said, is we begin to understand that we don't, we don't share, as I share my hospitality with you, I don't share it out of my own cupboards, but it's God's pantry of grace that I pull from. You see, we're bankrupt. We were all bankrupt when God found us. And he credited to us his righteousness and his goodness. And he's like, Ryan, your account is full. Now go share that. Go share that in hospitality to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Go share that in hospitality to the stranger on the street, to your own enemy. Go and open up the pantries of God's grace and give and give. 
See, Peter understands that the only way that we keep living for the glory of God is to pray and to grow deeper in understanding what God has done for us. And in doing that, we have true community and our doors are always open in hospitality to one another. Then he moves on to verse 10 and says this. And each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do you know you're useful to God? You know that? That you're useful to God. I'm talking about every... One of you in here is useful to God. You know you're useful to CRC, and we, we want you to know that, that you are useful to our church, that we need you. If you're a Christian, God says that he has given you a gift. And I know there's all kind of little tests you can take to find out your, your gifting, but God says that he has given each of us a particular gift. And that we should be using that gift to serve one another. That we, that we should be using whatever gift it is. And in Romans 12 it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, whether it's prophecy or serving or teaching or exhorting or contributing or generosity or leadership, that we should use that to serve one another. That we should use that to do good to one another. And God tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that he's arranged the parts of the body just as he wants them. So if you're a Christian and you're still on planet Earth, you're here to serve others and bring glory to God. And if we as God's church would believe that and put that into practice, Joy, joy, joy. But you know what we do? And I do it too, right? We move into community, not with this attitude of, God's given me a gift, let me serve. We move into community like, what can I get out of this? Right? Often, how am I going to be served? But if we would all just serve one another, then God's Word says, the community will be full of joy. But the neat thing is about this is that Peter wants the church to know the end is near. Pray. Grow deeper in understanding what God has done for you. Let that love throw open the doors of hospitality so that you might serve one another with the gifts that you've been given in Christ. And you do this, not for your own glory, but for God's glory. And so in this, we acknowledge that I need you, Ashton. I need you, Dwayne. Michael needs you, Tommy. So Peter doesn't give us this long list of things. It's just a few short things to help us keep living 
for the glory and honor of God. And it's pray, grow deeper in your understanding of God's love, showing hospitality, and serving one another. And then lastly, for those of us who teach and preach and speak the word of God, you're to hold me accountable to speak it accurately and truly as I should. So as Ben and I proclaim God's word in 2020, we should do it as though we were speaking the very words of God. And as we do that, God will bring our focus clearly onto Christ because all the scriptures testify about Christ and what he has done for us. So church, in 2020, let's keep our focus on what Christ has done for us. And Peter's made it really, really simple for us. Pray. When you get up in the morning, before you hit the ground, before you go to work, before you do anything, stop and pray and realize that in praying, you're saying, God, I need you. You know those passages where it says, God doesn't walk with the proud? <laughs> proud people don't pray. So when you get up, and listen, it doesn't have to be 20 minutes, just two minutes, God, I need you. I can't do anything without you. I can't raise my kids. I can't love my wife. I can't shepherd the church. Stop and pray. And then maybe take another minute and just remember the gospel and what God has done for you. And as you do those two things, as you pray and you remember the love of God, I can't help but believe that hospitality and service will grow and grow and grow in your hearts and in our church. Let's pray.